Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things, and action is the best antidote for anxiety. Today, the GOP finally releases a platform to run on for the midterms, and it's it's exactly what you think. Q has been unveiled, and turns out it's exactly who you think. <laughs> and Trump's new social media Twitter ripoff has launched, and it's going... Well, you know. <laughs> you know. And joining us for our interview is congressional candidate Christy Smith. The district she's running in is one of our best hopes for flipping a House seat from red to blue, an important part of the strategy to hold on to the Democratic majority in the midterms. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How How We Win. Win. A lot of no duh. <laughs> it's a no duh news dump. That's, <laughs> that should be a new a new segment. Our no duh news dump. Um, yes, uh, a lot to talk about, and I'm very excited for people to hear our interview with Christy mm-hmm. Smith. Uh, she happens mm-hmm. to be running in, uh, I think, the best chance we have in the country to flip a congressional seat. I mean, mm. she fell short in the last election by 333 votes, and redistricting has made that seat even bluer. So we absolutely need to support the race in CA27 because that's that's one that we absolutely sh- – how many times have I said absolutely? We should absolutely flip that seat. <laughs> Absolutely, we should. And you know what? 333 votes. We, we've said it many times. We could absolutely knock on that number <laughs> of doors in one morning with yeah. the, with with um, all the excited volunteers that we've seen in that area. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to it's it, the reason why this seat is so likely to flip. I mean, we, we don't count our chickens, right? We got to put the, yeah. got to put the work in, Exactly. but it, it's really interesting why this seat is probably up for grabs. It's something that's going to be repeated around the country. But like you said, it's, this is a really unique district and we'll, we'll tell you why in the interview, uh, things are changing there. Yep. And also want to mention, because we haven't talked about it very much, and it's the big news story of the day, um, Mm -hmm. but not something we talk a lot about. And that's what's going on in uh, Ukraine and Putin now uh, having sent forces in. And it's just uh, stunning and jarring to see Putin executing the big lie playbook Uh, in the way that Trump really tried to. But um, with his rewriting of history and his strongman tactics and um, and claiming that Ukraine is uh, is should be a part of Russia and that they're separatists. And um, it's really chilling to see what's going on there and um, the tremendous loss of life that's certainly going to come from it. Um, you know, as that develops, we'll, we'll bring on someone, uh, we'll bring on some Russia experts uh, to help us dissect what's going on. Yeah. And three major things to point out here, right? Um, you called it the big lie. Like even at his press conference, they said that it was live. And like one of the participants had a watch on and people could see that it wasn't a live press conference <laughs> right. by the time on the watch. So yeah. it just started out, started out with a live. Um, the second big picture thing is, my God, can you imagine if he, if like Trump had 
won re-election and he was pulling the stunt when Trump was in office. Yeah. Like, they already probably would have marched on Kiev without any sort of fear of, of repercussions by now. And that, you know, we don't know, we don't, no one can know what's in Putin's mind, but maybe that was, you know, part of his strategy going back years. Yeah, well, uh, for sure, I heard some experts talking about this and saying that Putin's calculation for doing this now was because of the destabilizing that Trump had done over the last four years to NATO and our allies, hoping that they wouldn't, you know, rally uh, together in this moment. So. Mm. Uh, the third, the third big picture thing, and this is when we talked about this when it, you know it was first bubbling up a few weeks ago. We talked a little bit about um, how it's playing here, like politically here in the United States. And um, Washington Post has this piece this week about um, J.D. Vance, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, who's mm -hmm. running for Congress and is sort of seen as like for some reason, as like the, you know, a, a bellwether for what the right is going to do. He is coming out very strong and making this part of his campaign messaging, basically saying, what do we care about what's happening over there? We need to focus on our mm. own borders here at home. And, you know, is this going to be the message from the right? Don't look over there. Let's only worry about, you know, America first, don't worry about what's going on in the rest of the world. Let's like let's focus on here. So um, remains to be seen. We're going to talk about the GOP platform. Yeah, it's a great segue. <laughs> <In> a <second. laughs> uh, is is this is this part of that? Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays. It so. is. Yeah, excellent segue. Let's talk about our our top news items now, um, and that's the GOP has finally unveiled a platform, and uh, you'll be completely unsurprised to hear that it includes not one policy item that will help make people's lives better. Uh, yeah. Shocking. Shocker. <laughs> so uh, this is from Politico. Senate Republican leaders have no plans to release an alternative agenda as they try to win back the majority this fall. So McConnell has, uh, has actually stated that they will not release any policy before the midterms. He doesn't want to actually talk policy. He's all about Suppression, right? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, back to the political article. So Rick Scott is pursuing his own plan. The Florida Republican senator and National Republican Senatorial Committee chair is devising a conservative blueprint for Republicans to enact should they win Senate and House majorities this fall. Among Scott's priorities, completing the border wall and naming mm -hmm. it after former President Donald Trump. Wow. Declaring there are two genders. Hmm. Ending any reference to ethnicity on government forms and limiting most federal government workers, including members of Congress, to 12 years of service. Okay, term limits, we can have a debate on that. You um, know what? <laughs> For the first time. It's 85 here in Texas, but maybe hell is frozen over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, 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 other, the other stuff is actually demonic. Um, term limits, you know, I, I might be done with, uh, but, but like, how does it, any of that make anyone's, it, it literally makes people's lives worse. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And 
We were just on the uh, Midas Touch podcast, by the way, to plug that one uh, last week and and those guys. And we were talking about some of the stuff we did in the early days. And one of the things that I was involved in was a pilot program, a, a deep canvassing program to uh, talk to Republicans. And the interesting thing about the scripts that we used and what we were talking about was it wasn't around policy or issues. It was around values or values that have been identified as important to Republicans. And so that's what uh, Rick Scott is really dealing with right here because there's no policy, there's no actual like issues. Uh, I'm, I'm going to quickly read through some of these. Number one, our kids will say the Pledge of Allegiance, salute the flag, learn that America is a great country, and choose the school that best fits them. Right, that's the first one. And now we're talking school choice um, again, which mm. is we can dive into at, at a later time. But um, that has deep, deep racist uh, <laughs> ties in our country. Um, two, government will never again ask American citizens to disclose their race, ethnicity or skin color on any government forms because it would be terrible to actually find out where the inequities in our institutions are. Mm. Let's just, you know, wipe all that out so we don't know what we're doing. Of course, in that bullet point, he uh, did the classic quoting Martin Luther King, people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Uh, Just to make sure that grave keeps spinning uh, constantly. I could go on here. Three, the soft on crime days of coddling criminal behavior will end. We will refund and respect the police. There is so much in here about like, like feelings, like respecting, Mm -hmm. you know, making kids say like making kids say a pledge every day. This is, uh, this is bizarre stuff. I, I also want to say that I don't agree with job limits on like, federal government employees, like the the civil servants who make the government run. I just want to circle back and say that. But, <laughs> but me, I don't like I don't elect, I don't elect, necessarily agree with it either. I mean, it, you know, it's case by case for electeds. Uh, and um, yeah, and I'm just yeah. saying there's an we can have an argument about that. I don't know. I don't actually know where I would fall. It really depends on the position. But um uh, will protect the integrity of American democracy and stopped left-wing efforts to rig elections. So just doubling down <laughs> on the plot. Yep, that's part of the the plank. Is there is there is there any detail about how he plans to go about doing no. any of this? Or no, just, no, no, just no, 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 no. Just declare, just declaring he's going to stand on his front lawn and declare there are two genders. Yeah, and, of and course. There's the mention of like mission banning, accomplished banner, banning. Um, critical race theory again you know all the buzzwords protect defend and promote the american family at all costs that's something what does that mean um doesn't mean anything that's where that's where he talks about uh there's only two genders and you know as god it's god's design for humanity and that's his words in here too um Oh no! Then, then at nine, sorry, men are men, women are women, and unborn babies are babies. Um, so you know it's the usual stuff. But to to tie into your segue, point eleven is we are Americans, not globalists. So um, oh wow, bladdy bladdy bladdy. So well, um, if you if, <laughs> if you were thinking that maybe the only thing keeping you from being a Republican. 
was a lack of a plan and a platform. I mean, this probably didn't help you at all. Yeah, so uh, we went from the platform being whatever Donald Trump wants. That was the official platform at the last um, Republican National Convention before the convention to Mitch McConnell saying we are not going to put out a platform. But like, like, listen, this all makes sense now. If this was going to be what they were going to put out, like, like Mitch McConnell, he knew this was coming. He's not going to he's not going to put this out there. No. Yeah. Um, and it, it bears uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, because this is a split with uh, leadership in the party. Right. Um, because Mitch McConnell did not want to do this. And Rick Scott went ahead and did it anyway. So, um, you know, there is a real rift. And, and this recent polling that shows that Donald Trump's uh, power over the party has diminished. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if this rift in the party really uh, metastasizes into something poisonous in the midterms. I I sure hope so, because we have a lot to overcome, but um, it remains to be seen. All right. You know where Rick Scott might find some traction on this is on, if he can get on, okay, if he can create an account, log on and actually use it, Donald Trump's social media platform debuted this week. It did obviously a disaster um people couldn't get on <laughs> couldn't well, create accounts they i mean it's being it's being run by uh dairy farmer turned terrible congressman uh devin nunez so what could go wrong this tech genius giant um so anyway yes uh truth social disaster but there are some people who managed to get on and you know, I guess if you're looking for a place where everyone agrees with you and says the same thing, the the irony here. Besides that, the name. <laughs> well, it's the name. And like Donald Trump created this because he was kicked off all the major social media platforms for, you know, fomenting. Lying. <laughs> dissent and lying. Yeah. And so, you know. Like instead of tweets and retweets, there are truths and retruths on this platform, mm. and uh, yeah, and and then the, the what one of the the NPR reporter who attempted to create an account reported that um, he looked at the app's terms of service agreements, that thing that we all sign but nobody actually reads, right? Um, and uh, there it's is truth one- media, so that, so there must be some very stringent terms of service. Tell me what they are. Well, the one he flagged was you're prohibited from disparaging, tarnishing, or otherwise harming the people who created the site. So Uh, that would be, so you can speak the truth. You can't say anything negative about Donald Trump. And there you go. That sounds perfect for anything that Donald Trump would create is you're not allowed to, to say mean things about me because it makes me sad. Only the truth. Only the truth. Um, and then the other the other big tech thing that we wanted to flag is that um, two separate teams of computer scientists have identified the people who are likely behind the QAnon movement. Right. So who and and this is this is significant because obviously this movement gained a huge amount of traction really starting in 2018. Um, the first posts from this mysterious person, Q, were in um, 
2017, and the computer scientists say that the first person to share the message <laughs> publicly is likely the original, like he, he wrote it and then basically like reblogged himself. Um, so his name is Paul Ferber and he's a South African journalist and software developer. Mm. And then they think that what happened was, is that he began collaborating and then uh, with this guy, Ron Watkins, who lives in Arizona and um, uh, eventually Q's messages started going exclusively on this website that Watkins and his father were running. And they said, you know, by analyzing the language that was used, the punctuation and everything, eventually Ron Watkins took over and became Q solely. Um, and I think, you know, like Paul Ferber then had some like, a, you know, a couple of negative things to say about, about where the movement was going. Um, so uh, Ron you Watkins, <laughs> Ron Watkins is now running for Congress. Um, we know that, uh, two outspoken members of Congress are QAnon acolytes. So this movement did have, I'm not going to mention their names. <laughs> we talk about them all the time. This movement did have enough power to get people, these people elected, but you know, we've talked about this many times. If, if this became a cult, um, mm -hmm. that the, the, the acolytes of whom thought they assumed that Q was this intelligent, well-connected, high up, high up member of the government right. who was secretly posting messages, probably had Donald Trump's ear and Donald Trump had, had his ear. And it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. It was just two guys who were good at self-promotion. Again, not a surprise at all. We all knew that was the case. But um, sadly, the unveiling of who Q really is will change. Allegedly. Allegedly will mm -hmm. change absolutely nothing no. in the Q QE-verse. What if Marjorie Taylor Greene was like, that's who I've been following this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I need to make some life changes. <laughs> yeah, she does Social need to make some life changes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You said you weren't going to say her name, and then you did, but that's okay. Uh, fair it. enough. Well, also, uh, also kicked off Twitter. <laughs> also kicked off Twitter, but probably finding a voracious following on truthy mm -hmm. media. You know, we've had enough of, of talking about these folks. Let's talk about people who can actually offer us some hope and are doing good in the world. That is your hero of the week. Yes, my hero of the week is a Democrat activist and uh, Texas hero. This comes from your, your home state right now, Taylor Coleman, who is living in her converted van right now and traveling all over Texas to register voters. Um, you may have heard, yay, that's applause coming from Mariah. You may have heard that the mail-in applications have been rejected in Texas. The GOP's stringent and difficult laws are, are going into effect and doing the job they're intended to do, and that mm -hmm. is to suppress people from voting, um, specific people from voting, I should say, um, black and brown people even more specifically. And as many as half of the mail-in uh, ballot applications have been rejected. And we've talked about this before, but if you don't know why it's so hard to register to vote in Texas, well, you you tell us. You're you live in Texas. Why is it so hard to register someone to vote in Texas? 
Oh, well, in many states, like anybody can register anybody else to vote. We Like many of you are out there volunteering to do this. In Texas, you have to have like special training and permit to do it. And in, in the case of what's happening right now, these applications are being rejected because one of the questions is, you know, you can use your driver's license number or part of your social security number to get your mail-in ballot, but it has to match the either the driver's license number or social security number you use to register to vote originally. So let's say you registered to vote 30 years ago and you don't remember today <laughs> if you used your social security number or your driver's license to register and you send in the wrong, like you use your driver's license 30 years ago, now use your partial social security number, your ballot's going to get rejected, even I, though you're, you're the same person. As you were talking, I started hearing you going into like peanuts teacher mode, like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> it's so confusing. And, and it's <laughs> like, it should be easy to register to vote. And that's the whole point. And, and the other thing, as you said, every county has different rules about who can be deputized to register voters. And you right. have to literally take a course. Uh, it could be online. Sometimes they don't have them online and you have to go in person, but they don't always have them. So what Taylor Coleman is doing is she outfitted a, her van and it, she's traveling all over the state. She's gotten deputized in as many counties as she can to help uh, register and educate voters on the restrictions and laws right now right. because they are so confusing and there's so many new ones. And like, I, I mean, you just tuned me out. So she's got her work cut out for her. <laughs> exactly. And that was, that was only on one regulation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But to be fair, I do that. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm kidding. So can I just vote already? It shouldn't be this hard. It should so. not be this hard. Um, so uh, Taylor Coleman for doing this incredibly hard work and dedicating literally every moment of your life right now. You are our hero of the week. Thank you, Taylor. And hey, if you're registered to vote in Texas... Early voting has started. You've got till February 25th. So get out there and vote. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, well, there's one call to action. Uh, let's talk about this week's to-do list. First on the to-do list, go to christyforcongress.org, Christy with the C-H, and you're going to hear from her in a couple minutes. So that's going to seal the deal. Like if you're like, ah, I don't know, Mariah, I'm driving. I can't go on a website right now. Um, you know, you'll listen to the interview. You'll pull over to the side of the road and you'll go to her website immediately <laughs> uh, to find out how you can learn more about this fascinating candidate and support her fight to flip California's 27th congressional seat from red to blue. Newly minted 27th district. Yes. And um, uh, the other to-do list, and this is really exciting because I know many of you have been waiting for this moment. There are new campaigns on Vote Forward to write letters all over the country. It's very exciting. Uh, we've talked about letter writing a lot on our show. Vote Forward is a spectacular organization that has had mm -hmm. 
real meaningful results from these letters. They act, they really work. They're effective. And now there's campaigns all over the country, including uh, in CA 27. So, uh, you know, the primary hasn't happened yet. If you uh, if you want to support the race in CA 27, but you don't want to get involved in the primary, writing letters is a great way to do that because they'll be banked and then go out uh, before the election. Um, if you go to Vote Forward's website, it'll give you a good idea of some of our tight races because you have a lot of different options to make both congressional and Senate races. There's a lot of fun to be had there writing letters. So go to voteforward.org. That's V-O-T-E-F-W-D.org. And again, as always, we'll have this on our show notes. We'll have Christie's site on our show notes too. Uh, so you can just click right through and go to it. And we're working on updating our website so that we have all of our calls to action uh, there too at howwewinpod.com. So write some letters. We got letters. We got letters to write. But first, we're going to hear this interview with Christy. Then we'll be back with our reasons for hope. Christy Smith is a former California Assembly member and school board member who is running for Congress. She's hoping to replace Republican Mike Garcia in California's 27th district. The two have faced off before, and last time Christy lost by a heartbreaking 333 votes, one of the closest congressional races in the country in 2020. Christy, thanks so much for joining us today. I want to uh, talk a little bit about the very first time I saw you speak was back in 2016 you were running for assembly um this is one of the last should have been running for congress of- sorry didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of- okay <laughs> it's a little inside we'll, we'll we'll dive into that this is one of the the last events of the election cycle that year um and i i was uh i was on the campaign for uh kamala harris for senate and we did this bus tour and we rode through Santa Clarita and did this joint event and you were on fire. You blew everyone away. And I remember people, you know, we had this big coalition, a lot of people from outside the district who were familiar with your work, but hadn't had a chance to hear you speak before. And we were all back, like backstage and everyone was going, oh, who is this woman? She's incredible. Um, So tell us who you are. And what made you want to run for office? Well, it's so good to see you both. I know it seems like we've all been at this forever. Uh, Mm -hmm. Look, I am old school public servant. Um, Grew up until I was 10 in the the Midwest and have kind of some Midwestern values, but definitely did all the kinds of things that teach you about good public service, Girl Scouts and 4-H and community volunteerism. And so got that spark in fifth grade and you first learn about the founding fathers and the constitution that this would be a a fantastic way for me to spend my life. It was the best of everything I liked doing, um, you know, community service, but really upholding kind of the ideals and the institutions that make us who we are as an American people. And so what has always motivated me though, is the community that I've been a part of and really happy to have lived here um, in the Santa Clarita in this district for most of my life. And it is a really diverse area, but with a lot of really unique issues, but also some of the things that are facing the rest of America right now. And why run again after, um, you know, what a struggle the last cycle was is 
that work is still there and the needs mm -hmm. are still great. And it is important for people to step up who have both the passion to do the work and to suffer through what can be these pretty awful, brutal campaign cycles and come out the other side, but be ready to hit the ground running um, to do their best for their constituents. So yeah, we've, we've all been in this a long time, especially <laughs> in this region, but uh, I, I'm still at it because there are people who need to have a voice in DC. Yeah. You know, I, I remember meeting you early on, too, and uh, I didn't mean to interrupt, Mariah. Sorry about that. But yes, uh, you know, there was a lot about, you know, first of all, you're so uh, active in your own community. Mm -hmm. And and we had um, uh, a new candidate and a candidate coming from outside the community running. So there was a lot of speculation back then about like, wow, there's this incredible uh, woman, you know, uh, she should be running for Congress. Um, and I think it was very... Uh, magnanimous of you to step aside for a, a young candidate who was uh, really getting a lot of a lot of energy. Maybe I don't know if that was a decision or not, but anyway, that was my speculation. Yeah, it was an intentional decision at the time. Um, yeah, we did have an outside candidate in the district, which outside interests have tried here again and again, and it mm -hmm. failed every single yeah. time. Um, and, and Katie Hill emerged this young, dynamic candidate with you know, a lot going for her, but at heart, I'm an organizer, right? I, I came to um, elected office by being someone who organized a nonprofit for my local school board, and then took that same organizing and advocacy to the school board and organized around a bond measure that, you know, led to $60 million in investment. I knew what we needed in this district to be able to win was an organization that reached outside the bounds of our own district into the activist community of greater Los Angeles. And that's what we needed to set up an infrastructure to do. Would have been really hard to run a congressional campaign in that cycle and set up the infrastructure at the same time. And I thought, you know what, I'm perfectly happy to serve in the California state legislature. It's a great place to be too. But that kind of campaign allowed me the freedom to build the infrastructure to give us lasting political change here. So yeah, it was intentional, but I don't regret it. Yeah. Well, uh, you did build a lot of infrastructure. One thing I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll also give you props for is you're amazingly loyal to community activists um, who have come up and, and worked hard. And that's not always the case. I know that for a lot of campaigns, uh, someone who's from the community and comes up through the dim clubs and the activists will uh, grab on to outside people to help with their campaign. And you have not done that. You, you've, uh, you know, you know, hung out with the people who brought you there, and um, and have stayed loyal to the people in your community, and that's a that's a testament. Um, and it's a great group of people. And it was a great group. Of, it happened. It happened to be an people. excellent group of people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Bonus. Yeah. Um, so you, you've done this a lot, and first time you ran for the assembly, you fell short, and then got it the next time. You've had some disappointing losses that we talked about for this seat uh, by right. 333 votes. We consider ourselves the official podcast of the persistence, and you are certainly uh, <laughs> persistent. Um, right. Those are heartbreaking losses. You kind of talked about what motivates you uh, to keep going, but you know, what have you learned from those losses and, and what are you doing differently this time around? Yeah. Well, it, first of all, it's, it's okay to take a loss if you're proving to the constituency that it's that it's doable, right? If you almost get there. Because when I ran for assembly the first time in 2016, it absolutely was a long shot. 
but I wanted to prove that Democrats here on the ground had the capacity and that these seats wouldn't be written off anymore. Mm. And so we did. And so then eagerly, uh, you know, Sacramento and party interests came in in 2018 and helped us get across the finish line. Um, unfortunately, the last congressional race was just indicative of where we were as a country and, and mm -hmm. the times and where we were as a state, right? COVID hit right as I was running a special election where for the first time, every voter in this district was receiving a vote by mail ballot. There's a whole bunch of voter education that needs to happen with that. And the best way to do voter education is knocking door to door. Well, our COVID infection rates were so high in California and it was such a risk. We made the very conscious decision not to go door to door and canvas. And that is as a democratic party, right? That's always our best tool in our tool belt is person to person conversation. So we took that off the table, which made that special election really hard. And then that persisted into a general election where we had Republicans in this district, um, not only continuing to go door to door in a, at a very dangerous time, um, mm -hmm. but also put fake ballot boxes throughout the community right. in locations yeah. where, you know, we had no supervision over that. So that took a whole effort with, you know, Mark Elias, who's now leading the democracy docket and, and all these cases across the country had to step in, uh, try to help us get enforcement on those fake ballot boxes and some of the really nefarious stuff um, that Republicans were trying to do. But all that considered a 333 vote loss, you know, that was a victory for us because our campaign also earned 36,000 more votes than any Democrat ever had here. Mm. And that was literally not being able to use, the, again, the tools in our tool belt. So being having a, a brand new map this time, um, having the ability to canvas this time and get out there and actually talk to voters about why the Democratic agenda and why what I want to do for the district is better for them. We are well positioned to have this be the best flip in the country in this cycle. So yeah, I mean, the, the losses are tough, but it's also, you know, a lesson for, as you guys mentioned, the young people who I have continued to work with and foster in this district, um, changing regions like this from a political perspective, it takes work and it takes investment. And if you cycle after cycle, keep trying to throw someone from out of the district at it, or, you know, just kind of giving up in between, we're not going to get there. It takes persistence and it takes continuing to build. And so that's what we're about. It's what we're doing. Um, you talked about a few reasons why this cycle is going to be different, particularly for, for your district. Um, a couple of things that I think are also going to be different that people are going to see around the country is redistricting. The lines for this district have been redrawn. It has a different number. And then I'm really um, glad I didn't get that flip the 25th tattoo that we were talking about <laughs> after the <laughs> All the campaign I, I, I lit from last time was out. That says the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then um, the, the Republican incumbent, Mike Garcia, was voting like in lockstep with Donald Trump. He was a Trump acolyte and Trump's out now. And so there's going to be this group of Republicans all around the country who had been major Trump followers. And now we, you know, we saw Trump not just lose the election, but like have a complete meltdown in, in the process. Um, so can you talk about what the redistricting and Trump being gone, like how that's going to, how that is impacting your strategy this time around? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, never taking anything for granted. The map in and of itself is is great. So we added two full percentage points of Democratic registration to this seat. Um, mm -hmm. The Republican 
stronghold community of, of Simi Valley is now in a Ventura County district. This is an all Los Angeles County district, which I won by over 5,400 votes. But, um, you know, it's a midterm. So that does present its mm -hmm. own challenges. So in a midterm, the best thing you can do is draw a contrast between yourself and your opponent and point out why he's so bad for the district. And you're absolutely right. I mean, everything from his votes on January 6th, not only did he vote in lockstep with the Republican caucus at that time who didn't want to certify already state certified election results after the insurrection and the violence and the, <clears throat> the loss of life that occurred um, on January 6th, he went back in to the House, as did those other Republicans, and stood again on that really uh, wrong uh, vote mm -hmm. and uh, went on from there to vote against the interests of the district time and time again, voted against the American Rescue Plan, voted against the bipartisan infrastructure law. And, you know, you're both familiar with this district. You know how much infrastructure investment we need here in terms of transportation and our water systems. And so, mm -hmm. again, turning his back on his constituency, um, voted against what should be an easy gimme, like the Violence Against Women Act, you know, mm -hmm. and how did it really like that is that's can conservative, that. yeah. right? That that's conservative beyond what I think even you know our our hardest leaning you know right wingers in in this district think is acceptable, and so um, has absolutely been in lockstep uh, with Trump. Has you know been in his office and given speeches with him in the Rose Garden, and so he really needs to be held accountable for what are all of the misdeeds of Trump and the Trump administration. And as those come to light now through not only the January 6th investigation, but all of these other, uh, you know, grievous criminal investigations that are going on around the former president. You know, if you're mm -hmm. someone who stood up for that as the American ideal, you should have to answer for why. And you should have to answer for why you have at time and again voted against the interests of the people in this district who are working so hard to recover from the pandemic and get their lives back on track. Yeah, he sounds like a real jerk um, to <laughs> summarize. Um, and, uh, it, you know, we get a lot of people asking us where can we make the biggest impact? You know, what are going to be the districts that we're looking at this cycle? And um, as Mariah said, there's still a lot of redistricting stuff that is settling. So, you know, we don't know the full scope of that national outlook. But, you know, CA-27 uh, is absolutely uh, a place where we are going to make a gain and help yeah. elect you to Congress. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a no-brainer for all the reasons that you just talked about. You mentioned earlier helping develop the grassroots groups and the organizing uh, in that district, um, which is where I got to know you and Mariah, right. you know, for that matter. That's where we, I first – cut uh, cut my teeth. And um, just for our listeners and for someone who maybe hasn't volunteered before, um, what is the role of volunteers and how important is, is the grassroots organizing to your campaign? Well, grassroots organizing is our most effective means of reaching our voters and encouraging them to participate. Um, you know, campaigns spend a lot of money on network TV and on digital advertising and those relentless mailers that show up, you know, for the months heading into our campaign, which, which stuff your mailbox. But 
the best conversations to be had um, are by people either making a phone call or knocking on a door. Uh, and for a couple of reasons. First of all, we know that the Republican side lies, right? The lies about me last cycle were absolutely ridiculous and vicious. The best way to counter those lies, though, is with a face-to-face -face conversation. There was no amount of commercials we were going to be able to answer uh, for that. But someone knocking on the door, and uh, you know, and the voter says, "Well, I heard this, you know, horrible thing about this person," and they're able to say, "No, that's not actually true. Here's what the, the Republicans are distorting, or here's her actual record," and then actually walking people through. The process of voting because again pro the process of voting here in california has changed everyone gets a ballot to vote by mail doesn't mean they have to vote by mail but they have the option to because it comes right to their house it doesn't cost them anything not even a stamp but they need to know how to fill that ballot out when to do it where to drop it off and those conversations are best had one-to-one -one, right where we really are engaging that person and talking to them about how important their vote is and in a seat like mine where seriously the loss was 333 votes that's a neighborhood. That's one neighborhood with right. worth of voters that can be canvassed in a weekend right. and convinced that their vote absolutely matters. So um, I would encourage people, it's christyforcongress.org. Go in, um, hit the volunteer tab. We last cycle were, um, even though we couldn't canvass, we had people making phone calls and writing postcards for us from across the country. I mean, literally from, from Boston to San Francisco. And uh, we need that kind of army to show up again. Well, that's a very positive uh, spin on what is going to be, I think, a challenging midterm. But talking to you gives me a lot of hope that that we're going to flip this house seat in California back to blue. I'm really excited about that and about your race. And thank you for giving me some hope. And now I want to ask you what is giving you the most hope for the future right now? Uh, young people. Uh, you know, we've touched on it a couple of times during this conversation, and, and we talk a lot about in the Democratic Party about what it means to build the base. But what it means to build the base is actually having young people on board, acknowledging where they are in this moment. I mean, I'm, I'm raising two young adult daughters, but for the most part, we have a lot of young Americans with not a lot of sense of hope. That same, we're going to pursue the American dream spirit that we all had and, and got to enjoy throughout our lifetimes really mm -hmm. isn't present for a lot of these young folks. They're just based on what they've seen in their lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. They've been through 9-11. They've been through the Trump administration and COVID, uh, the recession, kind of the, the worst of times here and they they need that hope and that promise but they also need opportunities to learn and develop their own leadership skills so that is what our campaign is all about is, is to provide that proving ground for them um, to allow them to be in that space where they're taking these leadership roles and knowing that they're going to be prepared for whatever happens next for america after those of us age out of this and step aside mm -hmm. that they've they've got the toolkit and they're ready to lead and lead this country um, to a place where their own kids will you know be able to believe in that american dream again I love that. And you've really done that. You've supported uh, the young people who have worked with you, alongside you. And uh, I just want to throw out there, um, and you know, you didn't have to bring it up because you know how I get embarrassed about these things, but I did save Christie's life once. I saved her life, and we wouldn't be having this conversation what? if it wasn't for me being quick on my feet at an event where a giant inflatable Trump <laughs> chicken came right. unhinged and almost crushed her. Almost took me out. That's right. Yes. And Goodness. I and I pulled her to the side and saved her life. So here we are. And um, and when are. you go to Congress, don't from the giant chicken. don't don't forget you know, my my brave actions on that day. I absolutely will not. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate it still. <laughs> 
I, I didn't need you to say that, but I just brought it up. <laughs> Christy, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. And, and I look forward to uh, seeing you IRL and helping knock on some doors for you in the coming months. Yeah, let's do this. Thank you both so much. All right, we are back now for our reasons for hope. And uh, let's start with you, Mariah. What brings you hope this week? Well, this morning that we're recording this, uh, players from the U.S. women's national soccer team reached a settlement in their class action equal pay lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation for $24 million. So the players are going to get a lump sum of $22 million, and then they'll get an additional $2 million that's going to go into an account that will help them with their post-career goals and with any charities that they um, establish or invest in related to women's and girls' soccer. And this is an ongoing battle that you've probably heard about for the last six years over equal pay, um, a complaint launched by the women's team um, because they were being paid less than the professional national men's team, of course. Um, and the, the national women's soccer team here in the States is amazing. Mm -hmm. And they outperformed the men, to be quite honest, yeah. and they rightfully said, where's our money? Um, <laughs> and the reason why this is giving me hope is that obviously across the board, but in sport, professional sports in particular, but, you know, in companies and probably where you work and, and all that stuff, um, women are consistently paid less than men or, or paid inequitably from men. Right. Um, and this was a demonstrably true case. And so we hope that this is going to have a ripple effect across the board. I love that. It, it, there was such a stark comparison in, um, was it the uh, Summer Olympics when they were talking about the locker rooms? Or maybe it was a, another event, but there was the uh, the men's locker rooms were like these state-of-the-art facilities right. with all, you know, the gym and all the stuff. And then the women were like crammed into a closet together, you know, somewhere or whatever. Yeah. So. I think that was like, I think that was uh, the Olympic basketball teams or something like that. Oh, you're right. But, that was basketball. But, but, I, but I mean, that's why I say this is a cross board and, you know, people will always argue, oh, like men play the sports for, I don't know who this is, but that's what I'm hearing <laughs> in my head. Men play the sports harder for longer periods of time. But, you know, we're, I mean, we're talking about massive, massive different in, difference in pay rate. And if you find yourself defending pay inequity, <laughs> then take a good look in the mirror and you're, you're beyond, you're beyond help. Um, why don't you tell me about your reason for hope? <laughs> well, my reason for hope, also news that broke this morning as we are recording, is uh, Ahmad Aubrey's murderers were found guilty of federal hate crimes, and mm. um, and this is really important. Uh, there was. Uh, in anticipation of this decision, I saw a lot of chatter on Twitter about this of of people kind of hedging, uh, kind of waiting for typical disappointment in these verdicts mm. and saying that these yeah. uh, these three have already been convicted to life in prison and that's really great and um, and justice has been served here. But um, this is a very important legal precedent to continue to set um, that um, not only are are they accountable for murder and should be uh, and rightfully were convicted for murder, but they are uh, convicted uh, for these federal hate crimes. 
you know, we need to send this message to anyone, what, whatever, whatever these fuckers were, were, were thinking, you know, um, uh, it's just, re- I, they were thinking that they hate black people. <laughs> they were thinking they hate black people. Yeah. Um, that's what they were thinking. And, um, it gives me hope to see this kind of justice being done. Um, there's so many cases where, uh, this has not been the case. Uh, these convictions have not happened. And, uh, my hope is that these precedents keep piling up and we see more decisions like this and um, and ultimately, of course, end the violence against black men and women in this country. I mean, that's the whole point of having these laws is to stop people from getting you know murdered and have hate crimes against them. And we're seeing uh, right now there's uh, reports of uh, an increased number of bomb threats at uh, uh, HBUs uh, all over the country. Mm -hmm. And, and we're seeing um, uh, at synagogues uh, like there's, there's a um, Jewish school for girls right down the street from my house uh, Mm -hmm. that I drive by all the time. I've been living there for 10 plus years. And so I drive by it coming home and on my way to work all the time. And just in recent months, they have armed security uh, mm. patrolling outside this school, you know. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And, and that that's where, that that's what's escalating right now in 2022. So this is a really important decision. Um, and uh, and I'm, it, it gives me hope that there's going to be some accountability for this hate. Yeah, I think you're really bringing this episode full circle. Um, we we joked around about Trump's disastrous social media platform, um, but you know, joking aside, what we're talking about is a, a breeding ground for yeah hate, hate, violence, um, all the the rise in hate crimes, and since he you know was elected, was stark and significant. Um, and the the rise in like the the divisive sentiment that's felt in this country, honestly, I think like Rick Scott's platform for for the GOP uh, just adds to all of that. Um, and so, you know, we it, it all sounds ridiculous to us because we don't believe in this stuff. But the Ahmad Arbery case was a a reminder that many people do and some many of those people have guns and bombs and uh we need to be vigilant and aware yeah uh you know we laugh because otherwise we would cry and and it's you know uh it's a (laughs) it's a scary everybody (laughs) well it's a scary time um and uh we need to be aware and keep moving forward and um I have hope that um, because I know there's way more of us than there are of them. But um, that's true as well. Yeah, that's the most important truth. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. Check out our new and evolving website (laughs) at howwewinpod.com. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com. You can also tweet to us at Steve or and at Mariah underscore Craven. And or uh, <laughs> make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. That helps more people see us. We really appreciate you being here with us and we'll be back with more next week.